illusion that's coming. And of course, we'll get into the personification of some of that in a moment. But to gain a little insight on what's coming, let's go back a ways to a character named Nimrod. Mm-hmm. And how does he, how did, what was his role in his time? But then what role does that entity play going forward? Well, there are several types and shadows of the Antichrist. The first one is Cain. Uh, Cain was one that, you know, basically, if you go by the law of first mention, which is an interpret, interpretation, you know, sure. uh, principle. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, the tone and temper of that word is the way it's going to be seen throughout the rest of Scripture. Sure. So he was the first one to build a city, built a city called Enoch after his son. Um, it also says that he built other cities. So when we talk about cities, it's in a negative connotation mm. because God believes in organic life, okay, organic yeah. life. Sure. So the making of cities is basically to repair or replace what Cain lost in his relationship with God. Mm. So we have this, you know, inclusion. Uh, I can get everything I want here. And there's lots of people that will move to the city just because of the, you know, convenience uh, convenience and things of that nature. So it's not necessarily seen in a positive light, although God himself is building a city. So it's, it's, you know, you've got to kind of balance that out. So after the flood, we get four generations in from the flood. And we have a character that is a great-grandson of Ham Mm. that uh, is also, you know, the great-great-great fourth generation from Noah. And so he begins to rail against, you know, Shem and uh, from what we understand from other sources. And so he takes people from the Ariat where the the ark rested and civilization began to grow from, mm-hmm. and he takes them down to the plains of Shinar, uh, and he wants to build a tower. Now, multiple theologians will tell you that that is in Eridu, which is around the region of the Mesopotamian plain, okay. and it's not a mountain. It's a valley. And if you're going to build something that goes to heaven, you'd probably want to start on a mountain. Right. They did not. They started in a valley. So it wasn't about reaching heaven. It was about uh, collectively as a people, as a populace, embracing the old gods of the pre-flood world and giving them access again because the term Babel meant gateway to the gods. Wow. So this edifice along with the city that was around it was meant to be a a, a a city and a nation and a culture that was groomed irrespective of Yahweh irrespective of Shem irrespective of the teachings of Noah and in fact if you look at Josephus he begins to explain that Nimrod railed against God and accused God of genocide, much like the generations in our day that sure. accuse him of genocide and those things, said that he was unjust, said that uh, why did he destroy the world? He is no God that I would mm-hmm. want to serve. Sure. I'm, I'm, I'm embellishing, course, you know, yeah. somewhat, but it's kind of, he. And his name means rebel. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have the first rebel. He is the first global uh, antichrist. I mean, he is collectively making a name for themselves, making a city and making a tower that will reach up to the heavens. Some say that that was a stargate in which the worship that they did on the top of that tower, the human sacrifice, mm-hmm. opened portals so that these second heaven entities that used to rule in the pre-flood world could gain entrance and access. So God confounds the languages, Mm -hmm. disinherits the nations and says, listen, I'm going to let you have what you want. You go forth. And he subjected them uh, to these entities, which were the fallen sons of God. And so each of these people groups went forth with a a pantheon, uh, Mm -hmm. their own pantheon. God declares, I'm going to take my man, which is going to be Abram, and I'm going to create a nation Mm -hmm. with him. I'm going to bring in my word, my will, and my way through this line. I'm going to protect it. I'm going to separate it. And I'm going to bring my son, my answer, my Messiah, the seed of the woman, through this lineage. And so then he wants all the nations to come back. As when he when he does his work, he invites all the nations back. So he's going to work through Abram mm-hmm. that becomes Israel to bring the nations back to himself. Yes. So he's not writing them off. He's uh, like he always does. He is enacting a plan of redemption. Yes. For them. Yeah. Well, you know, it's just like um, where it says in the book of Romans and also in the book of Second Thessalonians. If you want something bad enough, God will let you have it. Mm. And he gives them over to sure. strong to delusion rep- or he gives them yeah. to the reprobate mind. And, uh, and so they continued. And this is found in, um, um, Deuteronomy 32. Mm-hmm. Um, and it basically says that he in- disinherited the nations. He, it's basically the prodigal son. The prodigal son, it's wonderful that we use that to bring prodigals home, but Jesus was talking to religious leaders at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, he was basically sharing uh, what happened at Babel, that they came and said, give me my inheritance, and they basically wanted nothing to do with the Father. And so they went off, and they did what they did, riotous living, which most pagan activities are what I would call riotous right, living. Right. And he said that one day they found out that what they, uh, I think it's Jeremiah says, our fathers have inherited lies. Mm. So they inherited a lie. So eventually they're going to realize that it's a lie and they're going to come back to the father's house. And so the prodigal son's brother, the one that had a problem with the prodigal coming back, is actually the religious leaders. That Jesus was referring addressing, to yeah. addressing, so so we, we we see that the plan all along was at the dispersion of the nations at Babel that he was bringing them back, and one of the great signs was the first Pentecost, in which we see the the Holy Spirit coming upon mm-hmm. the the hundred and twenty. And there are going out into a stream of people that are from these nations. They're Jews, but they're from these nations. And so that's the initial step. The Apostle Paul sought his whole ministry Mm 
to reach the 70 or as some translations say 72 nations that were basic nations that were represented at Babel. Of course, they've expanded to many more nations. Was that, in your opinion, is that Paul's interpretation of the Great Commission where, you know, make... Yes, make disciples of every nation. I, I believe, I believe that he saw that going to these nations was his mandate. Yeah, and the mandate of the church. He didn't make it to Spain, uh, which he had every intention of making it to Spain, mm-hmm. and that would have collectively. Some expositors will tell you that would have made it collectively that he had visited every of every the nation. seventy nations yeah. that were dispersed during that time. So the depth and the complexity of this information on on Nimrod and on Babel and all of that, it's it's some of it's in scripture, some of it is in other writings, mm-hmm. some of it is extrapolated from the language used, mm-hmm. is that right? Yes. So you know there's some digging that has to happen, but where it starts is with the text yes. and in the the original language and again you don't have to be a a Hebrew scholar, mm-hmm. you just download a, a software or two yeah. and and you can walk through the languages and what they mean and of course scripture tells us that he even built not only did he build babel he built nineveh yes which is famous in mm-hmm. scripture on its own um mm-hmm. for being a very ungodly place yes. uh, until they repented mm-hmm. you know when yes. the prophet uh, and then they there. were judged again and they were judged you know, again and yeah. um so <clears throat> Nimrod is an interesting character, and by no means would I would I encourage people to go to texts outside of the Bible and make them the foundation. Sure, to make that the authority. Yes. Yeah. The authority is always in the text. Those um, other writings are just simply to give insight. Mm-hmm. I use them as commentaries, just Some like support. I would use. Yeah. Sure. Uh, and uh, but I can tell you that I've run into Orthodox Jews, people that are into Judaism, and we share these things, and they say, "Oh, you know that? You you understand that? We teach that all, you know." Yeah. So so it's not foreign, right? You know, we have to realize that we're dealing with a civilization that has more commentaries on the Old Testament than we could ever imagine. Sure, sure. So, uh, and of course, a lot of um, this information is oral tradition. Yeah, you know, so it's it's stories passed down, and of course, we have to be led by the Spirit, and that's that's mm-hmm. reason one of the reasons why He'll lead and guide us into all truth. Yeah, and so you know, there's things that I'll read and I'll think, well, you know, that that's plausible. That could be a hypothesis, and there's other things that I say, well, I just don't know about that. Mm-hmm. Put it on the shelf. You know, allow the Holy Spirit to bring it up and uh, but always make the Bible the basis of any investigation you would ever want to do in this stuff. Absolutely. 